Yeah, so as people know, this evening's episode is on bad science. And we'll talk about a bit about what that might mean, because I think it can mean different things to different people. Um, we were just having a really brief chat, Rob and I. How long have we known each other now, Rob? Uh, 12, 13 years? Something like that. It's, it was, did, we, I started on Pod Arena at 2006. Um, yeah, so that's 12 years ago. It must be sometime around there. And I remember yeah. one of the first discussions we had face-to-face was about Ben Goldacre, because we were both big fans yeah. at the time. He was writing his, his uh, he was writing his column for um for the for the newspaper at the time, and then obviously we both read his book, um, which is called Bad Science. And for those who haven't read it, absolutely worth a read. Um, Definitely. And that's kind of the the vague topic we're going to just you know we haven't massively planned, but we're going to talk around. Um, and obviously Rob talks about this quite a bit, um, you know, in, in lectures that he gives. So you know we'll we'll we're, we're looking to cover things like um, why we should be why we should be applying scientific level of thinking and, and not forgetting what the, the SC in our BSC stands for, uh, obviously. Um, logical logical fallacies that we're all guilty of, errors in thinking, science be pseudoscience, and how this applies to us as humans, but mostly as, as clinicians as well. Um, so let's just kick off with um, uh, bad science, Rob. So, you know, as we said, we've said before, this can mean different things. What would you class as bad science? Is it someone who completely ignores science, does what they want and, and what feels right or what they've always yeah. done because it works? Is it someone who doesn't ignore science, but they they cherry pick and they, they use their confirmation bias and they just find things to support their position and they, and they ignore the things that potentially refute it? Uh, is it the people that dive into the literature in earnest, but actually... Um, misinterpret it or don't understand it or just read the abstract or you know or is it a bit of a combination of everything yeah i mean all of the above um the the thing that um really got me started on this was when i i had one of those road to damascus moments where i realized how irrational i was uh i started <laughs> reading a few books around it and you you look at all these fallacies and you suddenly say oh my god i can actually think of a time when i've done that i i can see that in myself <laughs> Um, and then you start looking at science and science for me is our best effort to overcome our baser selves. Um, we are fundamentally slightly more evolved monkeys. Some of us slightly better evolved than others, but we won't go into Arsenal fans there. Um, and science is our best effort to overcome that, to actually become more than just the, the base creatures. Um, so that's good science. Bad science is when we do it wrong or do it badly. Um, the absence of it is dangerous. Those people um, who just abandon any kind of hope or pretense at science, you know, they're bad enough and God knows there's enough of them around. Um, But there's also the ones who do it, but do it badly and think they're doing it well. And they're more dangerous because that gives it a sort of patina, a sheen of, of legitimacy that it doesn't deserve. Um, And as you say, there's lots of different, flavors of that and there's lots of errors that we make and i'm sure we all make them yeah a key a key thing i think you said then robert um right at the start of that was that critical self-reflection because mm. that's exactly how i end up going down the exact same pathway that you you know once you understand these thought processes you suddenly see what what you were doing wrong yourself and, and maybe that distinguishes those who who say follow the science and versus those who follow the pseudoscience yeah yeah, um, that we're all biased. It, it's fundamental to the human condition. Oh, we're, we're, it cannot yeah. be avoided. We're um, wired for that, yeah. <laughs> some of us are aware of our biases and some of us try to overcome them, uh, and some of us do not. Hmm. Now, Bruce has just commented, Robert, that he's glad that you got dressed up for tonight's podcast. This is this is a clean vest, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's a, no puffing under the arms or anything. <laughs> yeah, a, better, a, better, we a better comment was that. We we Someone were. said, uh, James, James said, he, you look like you're uh, you look like you're ready for to play Call of Duty online. Much <laughs> yeah. further. So, so where do we start then? Shall we talk about the people who, who, who are uh, sort of, you don't want to pick on groups of people. Let's talk first about the people who... Oh, the people that just don't engage with science because yeah. they well, do something, yeah. it works. Why, if something works, 
and, and you know, let's let's put it into our into our world. If we're seeing a patient, an individual, and we're we're intervening with some sort of tool or or modality, and it works, and we'll talk about what that means. Yeah. Why question it? Why critique it? Why stop doing it in the face of conflicting evidence? Let's talk about that individual, that group of individuals. Whoops, Robert's frozen. I thought he was being really thoughtful then. <laughs> I thought he was really taking his time to think about it. Just have to wait a moment for a time. Can you hear a whole lot of car horns beeping where you are? Is that my... No, is that you? That's oh, okay. That... Yeah, there's. I can hear a whole lot of police sirens outside the hotel. <laughs> but at least it's not being picked up. Um, um, let's let me just message Robert privately. Actually, what I might do. Oh, Toby's. He might just still be thinking. <laughs> yeah. Look, what a. Hang on, I'm just coming up with something. Yeah, he's, he's logged off. He's got to log back in. But while, while we're waiting for him, I might just put this up. What, what we were just about to start talking about was some of some of this difference between science and pseudoscience. And I think the sort of person that Ian's probably referring to is those who say sort of promoting a pet theory, a gender or something, start with a conclusion, then work backwards to confirm it. Um, hostile to criticism, i.e. they lash out at criticism rather than embracing it and trying to engage with it. Um, uses vague jargon to confuse and evade. Grandiose claims that go beyond the evidence. Cherry picks only what's favourable for the evidence, relying on testimonials or weak evidence, and uses flawed methods with unrepeatable results. And the bottom one, they're dogmatic and unyielding. And I think that's the sort of person that I think we all come across quite regularly in social media, um, not just within podiatry, within in, in so many topics that, that I know I'm involved in. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm talking and also trying to monitor what's happening with Robert. <laughs> so just... Yeah, which it's normally yeah. it's it's normally my internet that lets us down with these kind of things yeah, rather, I'm just, rather I'm, than the guest, isn't it? Yeah, so let's let me try and get hold of Robert separately. It's just just sorry everyone who's hanging on for what's going on. We're just getting no I just asked an incredibly intelligent and profound question and I've left we've left everyone hanging. Uh, oh here you go, he's just messaged saying that he's Oh he's uh, just resetting things, yeah, I got the message, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. We'll give him a second to come on and answer then, right? And we won't go ahead because we've got a few bits to talk through, but I'm sure he'd want to have his say yeah. on them. Yeah, in case anyone's wondering where I am, I'm in a hotel room in Naples. And if you hear any horns and sirens, it's because there's a whole lot of police cars out, out my window um, here for the uh, Italian conference. I think you're off to a conference tomorrow too, Ian. Yeah, yeah I'm flying to, flying to Belfast at 7 a.m. Uh, for the All Island Conference, which starts on Friday, but it's the, the, the conferences, golf tournaments tomorrow. Conferences in um, uh, Ar Armagh. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm sure Sean Savage will call me on it if I haven't. If he's watching still. Uh, so yeah, that's tomorrow. That's why we're doing this on on, on Wednesday this week. Yes, Robert's back. <laughs> okay, Robert, can you hear us? <laughs> yes, I can. I'm sorry about that. I don't. No, know it's why. okay. But why, why you weren't there? I just ran through that science versus pseudoscience to describe the characteristics on the pseudoscience side. Yeah. So um, perhaps Ian, you want to ask that question again <laughs> that you started with? <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, well. Where did you lose me, Rob? I, I, I worded it beautifully, and I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said. But um, yeah, that's, let's, <laughs> it'll never let, be the same again. Never no, no, terrible. I've lost my moment. Um, let's talk about the, the individual, the group of individuals who who practice in a certain way. They get, yeah. they get, they get good clinical outcomes. I remember. Um, what, why should we question it if it works? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I and mean, why would they? Why would they embrace conflicting evidence if they know it works? Mm. Um. Something I'll start with there is why why they don't why people don't embrace conflicting evidence. Um, the the big problem is that to actually be a critical thinker, to be a skeptic, um, is personally self destructive. Um, it is harmful to your bank balance, to put it in a short way. If you think a patient walks in to see you and they say, "I've come to you for orthotics because I've got headaches," 
and I've heard that orthotics cure headaches. Now you've got two roads you can go down here. You can go down, yeah, sometimes orthotics cure headaches. We'll give them a try and orthotics will cure your headaches. Or you can go down the road of, well, headaches are a complex multifactorial condition. First of all, we don't know what type of a headache it is. It could be a migraine headache or a neuralgia headache or a tension headache or something else entirely. And I'm not an expert in neurology, so I don't understand that. And I don't know about uh, all the other causal factors. It could be your eyes. It could be your diet. There's 101 things that it could be. I'm not an expert in this area, um, but we'll have a shot. Can I have 400 pounds for a pair of orthotics, please? Um, one of those is going to be very appealing to patients and one of them is not. Um, so the reason that one of the reasons that a lot of people don't look critically at these things is because it's uncomfortable. It's not nice. Um, we want to be able to give patients the obvious easy answers. Uh, and the complex reality is hard. Nobody forms a line behind the door marked inconvenient truth. Uh, we all want the easy answers. Um, so that's why people don't embrace science. What people do is because it's important. Um, science is a reflection of reality. It's our best effort to find out the truth. Um, people get better for a variety of reasons. Obviously, the, the psychosocial aspect of it, the placebo aspect of it, which is not to be underestimated, but also not to be overestimated or represented as something that it isn't. Um, if we don't find out, if we didn't make an effort to find out these things, we'd still be bleeding people and using leeches and trepanning them to get rid of the evil humours. Mm. And um, one, of the, one of the things that you, you mentioned there, which immediately comes to my mind, is that, that sort of uh, post hoc, ergo proctor hoc fallacy yeah. where, where we do something, something happens. So we, we, you know, whatever we do, it doesn't matter what we do, I won't pick on anything in particular, but you intervene, the patient reports I'm better, and then in your mind, and it's like that caused that, that must yeah. be as a result of that and um, and that's a challenge you know you got to challenge yourself regarding that and that's not comfortable and then you've got to challenge your thought process you get that cognitive dissonance that, that, that we've all been through all three of us have been through yeah. and, and many people um and and do you think it's as simple as some people just not willing to go to that dark uncomfortable place do you think not, it's that simple not willing to and not wanting to because it's it's not a nice place the the nice thing to believe is that we've helped them because we all went into medicine because we want to help people so it's much nicer to say yes i helped that person than to say that person was getting better anyway they regressed to the mean and i just wasted 400 pounds of their money on a pair of orthotics that they never needed yeah um there there's more to it than that you can you can look deeper into it than that um but at the fundamental level, that's what it is. We want to believe nice things. We want to believe things that make us happy. Yeah. Um, we don't have any interest. We don't have any bias towards believing things that make us unhappy. And I think in many ways, that group of individuals, not, not defending that, um, that practice or that behaviour at all, because I don't think it's right, but in many ways, they're far less uh, sinister than the second group of people that we want to talk about. And these are the people that... Um, that essentially use it quite aggressively uh, to their own means. So people that, that um, you know, we got people, you got someone, you can have someone in a practice somewhere who's doing something that's got no evidence behind it, but they find it works and that, that goes on and that's one thing. But then you've got the person that sets up a website, puts a four figure yeah. price tag to something, mark himself an expert as a guru, um, uh, you know, a, a much more, it feels to me like a much more sin. You could argue it's the same approach. There's two different types there, and I think the second person's worth singling out and talking about a bit as well. Yeah, and that that's always the question, isn't it? When when people peddle something which is self-evidently woo, self-evidently placebo, non-effective, um, do they believe in it themselves? Do do psychics and mediums believe that they're talking to the dead, or uh, or do they know that they're just channeling their own desire to? Please the punters. The last um, one. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect, as always, the truth is that there's some in either camp. There are, without a doubt, those who misrepresent research, misrepresent um, or ignore research or, or post stuff out for their own financial gain, um, knowing that it's bullshit. Um, I'm quite sure they have bullshit. I'm quite sure that they have rationalizations for it. Um, 
but to be perfectly honest, I'm not that interested in them. Um, the fact is, some things are true, and some things are not true. Um, and we kind of lost sight of that, I think, as not just as a profession, not just in medicine, but as a society. Um, something I, I did take a note. I took one note for this evening. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary um, has a word of the year every year. Um, and or actually two years ago, it was an emoji, believe it or not. Belinda would love that. Um, 2016, uh, the word of the year was post-truth hyphenated. Post-truth has a an entry in the Oxford Dictionary as a distinct thing. It is a, a word in its own right. And what, what it means, I wrote it down so I can get it right. Post-truth relating to denoting circumstances where objective facts are less influential than appeals to emotion or personal belief. And this is this is this for me is a really sinister bit. It's not this is true, no, this isn't true. Um we can argue about that. We, we, oh, there you go. Um, we've disagreed on stuff. I've disagreed with you, Ian. I've disagreed with you, Craig. We, you know, we, that's something that we can do. But we agree that there is an objective reality. There is, we agree that there is a truth that we are disagreeing about. We don't, we disagree what it is, but we agree that it exists. The really sinister thing for me is when people go down the route of, well, there is no truth. There is no answer. Um, it's just what you want to believe. And you, you see it in all its sinister glory um, when people are presented with evidence that counteracts their belief um, and say, well, I don't care. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact is I, want, I like it. My patients like it. Your patients will like it. Your patients will want to pay you lots of money. Um, that's the bit that will ultimately drive us to Armageddon. It's where we we no longer respect the the concept of truth. Never mind, it's you know what it is. It, it's kind of like um, you know we, we we're all in the same boat. We can disagree on where the boat goes, but when you start knocking holes in the bottom of the boat, then we're all screwed. Screwed. Is, is screwed to screwed count? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pay pay up. Pay up. I'm going to say fifty p. I'd say that. Um, so, okay, go on. No, I was just going to say, look, just on that, Robert, they, you know, they might say that but my patients like it, that kind of stuff. That doesn't take into account the, the, the legal and ethical obligations that yeah. we're all required for our licenses, that we have to practice that way. And if you don't, you can use your license. And I know yeah. in several of these episodes previously, I've alluded to the fact that um, here in Australia, we've got two general medical practitioners whose licenses were taken away to practice over some non-science views they expressed. You know, they weren't putting patients... These weren't patient complaints. These were expressing non-science views. And I know in Australia, we're subject to the same sort of ethics and regulations that they are in that regard. So it's you know, it's not as though they have a choice. You know, if you want to stay licensed, you're putting your license to practice at risk um, mm. with that attitude. And that's, as, uh, as it should be, because as... As Ian said, you know, our degrees say Bachelor of Science. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's not Bachelor of Wishful Thinking. Mm. Um, yeah. There's there's a lot to be said for placebos. Um, sometimes a placebo is the best thing. Sometimes alternative medicine is the best thing. Or if, if you have an alternative pathology, alternative medicine is the correct solution. Um, um, it'll, it'll keep you happy whilst you're, you're getting better by yourself. Yeah, I, I like um, that. I like the term. I think Steve Novella came up with it, or David Gorski came up with the, the theatrical placebo. Yeah, and and, and it's, it's it's the theatre of what what is done is why they get better. Absolutely, and it's want. it's a mechanism. Another name for it is it's psychotherapy. I mean, you, if yeah. you change somebody's mindset by something you do and they improve, that's a win. That's a game. Mm. Crucial thing though is that you have to know that that's what you're doing. If you do that on purpose, if you give someone a placebo, knowing you're giving them a placebo, that's one thing. If you give them a placebo representing that you're giving them something else, uh, that's the very different thing. Um, There's a a good example here. I shouldn't cross over into dermatology because it's not my area, but I know somebody. um, Belinda's not not watching. Oh, okay. Happy days. (laughs) Um, I know somebody that uses tea tree, uh, TT50. It's a tea tree oil cream. 
for mm. Baruchas. Um, it has no clinical basis for it working mm. whatsoever. But all the time the parents are doing that, they're putting a smelly cream that they think is going to help and they're not blowing holes in their kid's foot with salicylic acid. If you go into it knowing that that's what you're doing, then that's fine. And as long as you don't actually lie to your patients, that's fine. But the problem is when we do, when we don't care anymore, when we, mm. we think that, you know, it doesn't, we don't care how it works. If our patients are happy, then we can say what we like. That's, that's the problem. That's what will drive not only the profession that will drive society mm. into the ground. Um, I, I know Bruce was watching earlier. America is, is suffering at the moment. Um, mm from this in spades there are 50 percent of americans believe that the earth is less than six thousand years old that mm. human beings evolved in their current state and that two penguins got off the ark at mount Ararat and waddled down to antarctica and the kangaroos jumped to australia 50 percent now that's going to start <laughs> having an effect that's going to start damaging society i think we're seeing that uh, we've got we, we can disagree on what the truth is but we've got to respect the concept that it, it does exist yeah, Bruce is still listening and he's still taking digs at you. Ah, <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, so he, likes word, he, li- he likes the word. He, he's, I think he's disappointed we haven't said the word fake, fake news yet, so he's just said it himself in the comments. Coming back to those two groups of people that, that, you know, that are practicing similarly, but one feels sinister and one, one doesn't. Yeah. Um, the way I've always, I've always sort of managed to work out which one's which is, is how they respond when challenged. Mm. So, you know, a, com- a completely utterly acceptable thing to do in this day and age is to, to, to challenge things. Yes. Um, we, we, all three of us have discussed and argued over the, over the last decade. And um, some of the most, some of the best sort of arguments are often between two friends. Uh, it's completely okay to argue with someone and like them afterwards, despite what, what yep. a lot of people think. Challenging is an utterly important part of the scientific method, as we know. And I find that if you challenge someone, uh, because you're not too sure and sometimes it can be completely innocent can i get a bit more information can i get some of the evidence of the claim you've just said and you're sort of 50 50 authentic the way they respond usually tells you everything yeah. you need to know about them and their model um and i think that, that i think that was on that pseudoscience table as well um picking up on something that An- andrew hills just said um talking about sort of um do, does he feel that we and it's one of the things we were going to talk about do, does he feel that we as, as a as a profession as a group have good enough understanding of sort of how to appraise evidence and it kind of brings us on to that, that that third group so we've got the group that ignore the evidence uh, we've got the group that cherry pick and you know to suit their favor and then we've got the other group that uh, or maybe the group that ignore it ignore it because they're scared of it because they don't understand it or the people that then do go into it you know, don't understand it well enough to, 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 to sort of interpret it. We've got problems with uh, access. We know this. People leave university and depending on where they work, they may or may not have access to papers. So they're reading just abstracts. There just seems to be so many hurdles. Um, what do you think the big, the big wins are for us as a profession moving forward here? Hmm. Um, there's a lot there. There's a few questions there. Um, I'll, I'll talk about something that I think is something that we've lost um and that is i think we've lost the war in terms of exposing people to good information there there was a time when you you had your students for three years at university you could give them good stuff there and then you could control the conferences you could control what input they had there and although there were the the quacks and the charlatans that tried to put it out they were they were limited in their scope um to a degree we managed to control the information that people had. We managed to keep the, the bad stuff, the poison, out of the system. Um, I hate to say that that's a war we've lost. Um, there is more bad science now available uh, than good science. Um, and I think this is where the battleground has to shift. We can no longer fight this war in terms of um, who, you know, the, the best stuff, the front stuff at the front. We can no longer win it by achieving so much and having so much great stuff that, you know, people will realize it's self-evidently brilliant. Um, what we have to do now is train everybody to be the critical author. We all have to be our own peer reviewers. 
Um, the concept of a peer review journal is a great one. It's the idea that we don't uh, allow a bad study to be published. If a study is, is obviously gross, it's picked up at that stage. There is so much now that is published that should, that isn't good and shouldn't be mostly in non peer review journals, but occasionally you get a few sneak through in peer review journals as well. What we now have to do is teach everybody to be their own critical thinkers, um, to, to, get them all to filter the information at the point that it gets to. Um, that's really important. And I, I think one of the, the obstacles we have there is that people think it's hard and it, it, it's really not hard. All you've got to do is question everything. Um, going to embarrass uh, Sarah Byrne. She, um, she was on earlier and she said she had a little voice inside of that. Every time she said something about biomechanics, there was a little voice that said, is that still true? And she said it like it was a bad thing. It's a brilliant thing. We all need that voice. Um, Socrates described that as his demon, um, which was a voice inside his head that challenged everything he thought and never told him what to do, but only told him what not to do. Um, that's what we need to instill in people, the idea that they can't accept what they read as necessarily true, that they have to be critical and sceptical about everything. It's the April the 1st effect. April the 1st, yeah. April Fool's Day, there's always one article in every publication which is dodgy. Um, and you read the, the journal in April looking for the dodgy study, the, the Professor S. Cargo that discovered that snail slime cure verrucas, that sort of thing. The, the study that showed that propanol caused regrowth in nail surgery patients 10 years on. You, you read it with that filter in place. That's how we need to be doing it all the time. Yeah, uh, to, you know... I think I read something online along that uh, along that theme, which essentially said, you know, you know, from up until midday on April the first, you just you just don't believe anything anyone says to you. You text you yep. from your friends, the things, even things on on BBC News now that everyone's everyone's a bit of a joker now. Up until midday, you just you just look at everything and question it. And it's like, why do we only do that for the first half of one day of the year? That's exactly the way to behave. Yep. Three six five. Um, Absolutely, especially on the internet. Think, yeah. Well, coming on to that next, the next question, actually, which yeah, we may as well, because we've touched on um, the Internet. I know in, in one of Ben Goldacre's books, it's a bit old now, so I don't know if the stats are still valid, but he mentioned that 50 percent of all news via media outlets is usually attached or linked in some way to healthcare, And this is big for us because we have our patients coming in and they've seen something on the news or they've seen something online. And it isn't necessarily a book or a tweet. It can be something. Uh, um, sort of trustworthy like BBC for example so we need yeah. we need to have we need to have the skills to meet these people in clinic you know without kind of going oh I'm not sure we, we need to need to have yeah. those skills um, is, is social media helping us here or harming us because when I when I consider when I consider social media oh yeah that's good we'll go out there okay <laughs> yeah, yeah nice nice um when I consider social media, I think about, I talk about some of the hurdles that we've just mentioned, i.e. access to journals, uh, not having the ability to understand it. What we, what, what I know Emma Cowley refers to and, and uh, Kylie Williams refers to as sort of research translation, something they're very passionate about doing and, and something Craig and I, one of the sort of reasons we do this kind of stuff. So we, we've got the internet that now says, okay, people, smarter people than us can read something, write a blog about it we can go and read the blog and that's a great way of sort of disseminating information. It, it breaks down some of those hurdles or you can send someone a message on Twitter and say, Oh, I, I actually can't get that journal. And within a few minutes, the PDFs popped into your inbox. So clearly social media helps break mm -hmm. down some of those hurdles, but at the same time, it feels like it gives, it gives that vehicle for things to, for everyone, as we said, yeah, uh, when, when we were offline, as soon as you've got a laptop and a, and a login, everyone's like, you can be an expert overnight. You can, sit, yeah. you can frame, frame yourself an expert overnight. So do we think that bad science and pseudoscience and, and, and all of this is, is worse than it's ever been? Do we think that the social media is, is, is facilitating this kind of explosion of it? Or do you think it's always been this bad, but because of social media, we're just finding it more easily? Um, I think it's worse. Uh, the, first of all, Bad ideas spread quicker than good ideas. Uh, a lie can run around the block before the truth has got his shoes laced up. Um, 
also there is a fundamental we are late to the party our side if you like is late to the party um bad scientists uh, salesmen marketers all these people that we don't like um have been much quicker on the uptake in terms of how to get their stuff out there than we on the scientific side have been at getting out the counter arguments um and that again, I mean, I, I, again, to, to come back to the American political situation, because it's so fascinating, you, you can see it there. The Republicans, the, the Trump campaign got very quickly onto this bandwagon of how to convince people of shit that wasn't true. Um, and the Democrats broadly took the high ground and, and just sort of stuck to the traditional outlets and look what happened. This is what's happening with bad science. We are slowly recovering the balance. Um, and that is, I think, why what people what you know this podcast is doing what people like we do uh what people rather um snarkily call the evidence police is so important um because we cannot cede that ground um we have to have people that when somebody says you know miracle insole b cures everything somebody is going to be up there to say no it isn't we can't wait for the, the five years later peer review study into Miracle Insole B that proves that it doesn't work. We have to be there to ask questions then and there. We have to be, we have to be on it. Um, it's an uphill struggle, but yeah, I, I think overall it's been a bad thing. Uh, overall, I think it's had a, a negative effect. Um, it doesn't need to, but it comes back to, you know, it can't be done by the few at the top. We can no longer rely on the um the people in the universities the people that the peer reviewers at the studies of the mag of the journals um to do it for us we all have to be out there arg not even arguing asking and this is the thing i mean you you, can't, you mentioned you alluded to the the behaviors of people when challenged um and that is absolutely key if you want to find out if a model is good or not Ask some questions, and as much as listening to the answers, look at the way the person approaches your question. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's got a good, sound argument will respond in a certain way. They will engage with it. They will be interested in it. And if you find a flaw in their argument, they will want to hear it. They will want to know it because they want to know what is true. They're looking for what is true. The other sort of person will, first of all, um, try and engage with it. And then when you don't accept the answer immediately, they will start getting angry. They will start throwing ad hominems. They will attack you personally for asking the questions. They will call you a bully uh, or a bull even. Um, they will behave in a very predictable and preset pattern that we've seen a million times before. And then in the end, they will flounce. You will get the, I'm not staying around here to be spoken to like this in this tone of voice. Um, I'm, I'm taking my toys and going. That's not the behavior of somebody who is holding a nugget of new knowledge. Um, people with good models, people with good science like to be challenged because they want to be. I'm, I'm going to embarrass somebody else. I'm going to embarrass um, Ian Lenane, um, who you had on. Great guy. Um, God love him. He is pushing the outside boundaries of what we know. He is pushing some new stuff. He will regularly email me stuff and say, Rob, what do you think? Now, I'm the most cynical, um, unpleasant person in the world, but he actually actively seeks out criticism from me. Um, that tells you something about his motivations. That's somebody who wears their hair shirt on the inside. Um, the people who um, don't enjoy criticism, the people that don't want to have their ideas challenged, they're the ones you've got to watch. Yeah, no. yeah, I think you're. I think you're bang on. I don't. Yeah. I don't and, and, and I've, I've been on the end of several ad hominems over the years. Um, yeah. um, and, Say it ain't uh, so. Yeah, I know. Uh, and and I, I don't mean. I mean I'm, I'm incredibly sensitive. Every single one of them. <laughs> Gen Gen genuine. No, no, no. Really? I mean this. I genuinely mean this. Every single one of them. I just take three or four minutes just to go. Oh, maybe, maybe I am a bit of a dick. You know, it, it gets well, you. you after it doesn't mean you're wrong. Well, uh, yeah, a scientific one at least. Um, let's talk. Um, let's talk about logical fallacies, which we're all get, we're all guilty of. Yeah, they, they're all around us. Some of them, some of the things we do on a daily basis, um, 
are probably logical fallacies we didn't even know about. But, you know, in, on, on any given day, we see them with our patients. We, 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 sometimes, we sometimes catch ourselves doing them, whether it be um, false dichotomies or sharpshooter fallacies or yeah. you know, whatever it may be. What are your, what are your top three? If, if you sort of said to someone who, who wasn't even aware what a logical fallacy was, go and learn about these three. And I think over the course of the next few weeks in clinic, you'll, you'll spot them. And these are, these are probably the three to commit to memory to really sort of get a head start on, on, on your patients what on, is the, and on, on, on your interactions on the fora online. What, what are the big three for you that you think people should be aware of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in, in terms of learning them, um, a good place to start. If you Google, uh, in fact, we'll, we'll put it up as a link. There's the, uh, the page that's got the whole list of them with a little cartoon at the front. Um, we'll, we'll throw that up later on. Um, I would say the number one to be aware of, um, when you look at what people post is the endowment fallacy, uh, the endowment effect, uh, which is that you judge with increased validity, um, something that you own. If I ask you how much your car costs, you will judge it as higher because it's your car. If I ask you about your belief system, you will judge it as higher because it's your belief system. So you've got to be aware that anytime anybody, including you, is talking about um, any kind of scientific model or belief, um, if it is their baby, if they've built it, um, they will be less able to um, to critique it. There you go. That's the one. Um, critical thinking cards. Um, second, um, second most... Uh, I would let, me, say, let me throw, let me, go on. Okay, um, something that, I don't know if it, it counts as a, a formal logical fallacy, um, but there's a concept I've come across quite recently called cognitive ease, um, which is how pleasant or easy it is to contemplate something. And the idea is that um, if it's something we're familiar with, we are inherently comfortable with it. Um, anything that is unfamiliar, uh, anything that, causes you to pay attention to it requires what's called cognitive strain uh it's from a book called uh, thinking fast thinking slow uh and the idea is that um, the slow thinking uh the analytical thinking um causes an inherent and unpleasant cognitive strain whereas the uh something that you're familiar with something that you've come across before uh you get this cognitive ease thing um, and what that means is that we are all inherently resistant to learning new stuff. Um, people don't like news. They like olds. Um, you would imagine that when the Internet came along, that when we were suddenly exposed to all this new knowledge, this, this whole universe of knowledge that we never had access to 20 years ago, um, that it would have resulted in more truth. It would have resulted in a, a, a broader understanding of the universe that we would have all been happy to accept it. I think it's had the opposite effect. Um, you open people up to all this vast, scary knowledge um, and everything they read, they have to think about. Um, we, we've lamented before the fact that people don't like to analyze new stuff. They don't like to think about new stuff. Um, and I think what's happened is people have sort of almost clammed up. They've almost withdrawn. Um, into i just want to know i can, can somebody with biomechanics just give me the simple answer can somebody just tell me what to do uh what prefab should i be using um because it's scary asking questions is scary um and so then you have somebody that comes along and says yeah i can give you that i can give you one model that will cover everything i can give you one series of tests one assessment protocol that will answer all of your questions. It will cover all of that horrible uncertainty, all of those patients that you don't know how to help. If you just do this, um, it will all make sense. And then they do the course and it does. It's all there. It's all contained. And once you've learned this single contained hermetically sealed model, you have no need to go out and experience that horrible cognitive strain of learning new stuff. So that would be the second one for me. The fact that learning new stuff, challenging your beliefs is inherently unpleasant. And recognizing that will help you to realize why it's it's difficult for you. Um, Actually, just on that, Robert, there was a yeah. comment, there was a comment earlier on. I'm just scrolling down to find it. Uh, Re biomechanics at university. I want my money back. 
<laughs> but, that, that, but, that, but that fits nicely in with it. I, I, yeah, you know, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we want the simple answers. We want the um the the smooth uh, contained. We just have to. We just want it to be simple. We just want to learn this. And the truth is, reality is not like that. Yeah. Um, reality is messy and complex and multifactorial, and it's got a huge amount of built-in uncertainty in it. Mm. Um. Well, I've got to stand up in a conference on Friday and tell 150 people that orthoses don't uh, realign the calcaneus. So, uh, <laughs> God, are we pray, still having that fight? Pray yeah. for me. Pray for me. Um, <laughs> so, help him, Lord Jesus. My 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 two favourite. Just wait. I'll get because I know I put you on the spot a bit there. So That's while right. you're thinking about number, while you're thinking about number three, the two I think that we see. Uh, Craig and I see an awful lot and we've talked about is obviously the appeal to nature yeah um, oh Christ saw it, uh, a uh, natural fallacy utterly prevalent yeah utterly prevalent when where you know this is the reason bare, barefoot running is best I know I've spoken to Belinda and that terminology is pretty um, pretty yeah, bad I think they have well. it something's yeah. natural it must, it, it must be yeah um, and also the straw man the straw man argument where someone sort of uh, takes your position and, and uh, sort of sort of dresses it and up you it and then slightly, and then... yeah yeah and then attacks that position so um i think all these things are are things that we all see we just don't necessarily give them their titles it? um, it's worth knowing bruce just meant so i was just say bruce just mentioned a book and actually it reminds me i i glanced down at my laptop here and i saw 10 15 minutes ago a question from toby i think it was um Saying you know if, if you know, where, where should someone start? Uh, I mean, we talked about uh, where, where should you know what reference should someone go to if they really want to kind of open their minds. At the very top of this uh, episode, we talked about Bad Science by Ben Goldacre. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, pretty much the reason we named this chat what it is, and I think that's not a terrible place to start. No, um, I'd agree. Uh, I love that book because it, it popularizes it. It does what the other side does. Yeah. Uh, it makes it accessible. It makes it interesting. It makes it fun. You can get it on Audible. It's a, as an audio book. Listen to it in the car. Uh, if you do a lot of commuting, mm. um, you know, over a fortnight, you'll hear the whole thing in convenient 20 minute chunks. Uh, um, yeah, that would certainly be a good place. So I think if I was going to go number three, uh, it would be confirmation bias. Yeah, that, that would be my uh, number my one. Absolute... That would be my number one. Okay. If you are looking for something, you're going to find it. Um, we see this in glorious Technicolor with overpronation. Pronation is oh, what, was, what was the deal? What was the deal <laughs> of you coming on? Uh, was not. Wasn't anybody by name because you guys don't want to be sued. Is that not? That was the, what was the second <laughs> <deal>? <laughs> Overpronation, and uh, it's it's dead simple. They taught us. I learned at school, pronation causes pathology. So everyone comes in with a pathology, I pronate, they're pronating. Their pronation causes pathology. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, every, almost everyone pronates. Everyone who doesn't pronate has almost certainly got them. So you might say having head causes plantar Because there's a thousand people that came in with plantar fasciitis, and do you know what? They all had a head. That's what confirmation bias is. You, you look for something, you find it, and then you you form the link yeah um and just backtracking a little bit i just share my screen um the, the comment about where to start there's this book that's due out later this year that i'm gonna like i, I know I, I follow steve novella a lot i know a lot about his work um the skeptic's guide to the universe it's a weekly podcast that that is well worth listening to and gets into all of this and this is their book that they have written that um, is actually getting quite a bit of mileage. Um, so I, I've, I've pre-ordered my copy, but I suspect that it, it, it would be a good place to start if anyone really wants to get into it. But listening to this, these guys' weekly podcast is, is well, well worth it as well. Mm. You um, do it when he runs. Yeah, Steve, yeah, I know. Steve Novella, he has, he, he's got a, a very good, interesting blog, and he writes quite regularly about that, yeah. So, something else I'd like to, to talk about, because I'm aware of the time, um, a group that we talked about before the, the thing started is um, those who like research and read research, but don't read it right. Um, and the, the bumper sticker here is that meta-analysis on heel pain, which came out quite recently. Um, 
And it was a perfectly reasonable meta-analysis based on perfectly good research. The research is on prefabs versus custom orthoses for plantar heel pain. Uh, it was a very noble study uh, area for study. And it's a, like most studies, it, it zeroes down into a very specific area. It, it excludes all the other variables and just zeroes down into one tiny spot to find out what it is. And that, that meta-analysis was released, which said quite rightly that most of the studies showed no difference between custom insoles, prefab insoles for plantar heel pain, which is a correct assertion as far as it goes. Um, and that study came out and I knew about it because I went on social media the next day and I read the article in, was it Reuters? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I went on Twitter and a few other... It was like somebody had left the gate open on the twat farm. It was everybody with half an understanding and a quarter of a view. And it was, you were hearing, you know, this proves that custom insoles don't work. This proves that custom insoles are, are, are no better. Uh, no. It, the point of that kind of research is to give you a, a microscopic view on one particular question. It's not to inform how your whole clinical practice could work. You look at the, um, the inclusion criteria for the meta-analysis was more or less plantar heel pain. They weren't making an effort because that's not what the study was about to distinguish between was it caused by osteitis? Was it caused by bursitis? Was it insertional um, plantar fasciopathy? Was it non-insertional? Was it plantar fasciosis? Was it plantar fasciitis? That's not what the study was about. So plantar heel pain is not a diagnosis. It's a fucking postcode. It's it's an area of it's an area of the body um, in which you can have pain, and then it looked at the the insoles and it's comparing prefabs and customs. Yeah. What if I say to you, I've got a custom insole in my hand? What does that tell you about that insole? Does it tell you if it's hard or soft? Yeah, I, I know. But interestingly, I don't I don't think the Reuters press release. And subsequent, what happened? That was actually the worst of it. The, the worst, but I, I saw of that, and it goes back to what we we're talking about: how bad social media has made things. People were posting the press release or the study on Twitter or um, Facebook. You know, orthotics don't work, but use this treatment. Well, yeah, yeah, Every, and there's less around. evidence for their treatment. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it was. I thought that was the worst of it that, that they were somehow using. And you see that absolutely consistently, this sort of person. They say, don't listen to the science. The scientists are all, they're all big pharma shills. They're, you know, don't believe the science. Don't believe the studies. The studies are all screwed. The statistics are all biased right up until the point where there's a study that supports their view. Yeah. At which point, suddenly they are the biggest cheerleaders for this wonderful study that you should absolutely oh, yeah. read and that proves unequivocally that that's the case. Yeah, but... Um, I think yeah, for me, time. for me, for me, this was there was a deeper level of fascination here in that this 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 came out. This review is in the, as the, one, the one you're referring to, Rob, in the BJSM, and it was it's a systematic review of meta-analysis. That's the first thing to say. So it's level one evidence. And yeah. having been having been a part of um, a group that have done a couple of these, I have to say the biggest heart ball I've ever ever encountered. So I've got massive respect for anyone that does. One. That's the first Absolutely. thing to say. But what they are. What they are is a big review of a body of uh, an area of research. So the, 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 the outcome is only as good as the income, uh, yeah. you know, the, the papers that are in it. And we know that, that foot orthosis research has limitations. We won't go into those just yet. But the, the thing for me was that this one came out and suggested, concluded off the back of its meta-analysis that, you know, uh, orthosis were not appropriate. That's, that's uh, me paraphrasing. And I think that the biggest, mm. the biggest thing for me was within within the, the previous six months in the exact same journal as i know you know the guys from the trove led by glenn whittaker had done the exact same systematic review mm. the exact same one and they had come up with a different conclusion but and I, that one that one seems to have that one didn't get the headlines that this well, they, got. they didn't put out a press re- they didn't put out a press release <laughs> no no because they're scientists you know so why would they? but the key thing this is, is where we're slow to the party we don't yeah. do that we're so but the, the next question is how does why there's one question here that i think is reasonable which is why does a journal why does the editor of any journal publish two systematic reviews on identical topics so close to each other that's a reasonable question and um 
no, looking at them both and seeing that, you know, or publishing one and seeing one conclusion six months later, see the exact same one, that would normally just get turned away. We've just had that one. There's been there's not been any new studies, but seeing a completely conflicting conclusion yeah. and then thinking, you know, there, this, there's, there's, some, there's some excitement. This is going to yeah, generate this. But, but at least the editor did let those who did the first review publish their editorial. Well, this is it. So they wrote the editorial in there. They yeah. suggested that the main difference uh, in conclusions is that from one of the papers that they extracted data, one of them used the VAS and the other used the for health status questionnaire. Yeah. So they used like, and this is this is research, right? This is level but one evidence. But that, doesn't that show you how you can bias systematic reviews and meta analyses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and this <laughs> is where, as I say, this is where we can't rely on peer reviewers. We can't rely on this stuff. Um, to tell us what to think. We all have, individually, we all have to be able to read this stuff and critique it for ourselves. This is yeah. where the, the, the battleground has moved. It's no longer there. It's, it's in each and every one of us. It, it's crowdsourcing is what it is. Crowdsourcing. So, so how, how, do we do, how do we do it as a profession? If our biggest fight against this is, as a profession, to just be better, um, yeah. how do we do that? I think we, we've got to engage everyone. We've got to... It, get through to people that you don't need a PhD or an MSc or even a very good degree to be able to look at stuff critically. You just need to have the skeptical mindset, which is to ask questions. That's what skepticism is. Skepticism is not cynicism. Skepticism is not refusing to believe anything. Skepticism is when you present me with an argument, I say, okay, can I see your evidence, please? It's as simple as that. The, the skills involved are easy to acquire and they can be a lot of fun. Uh, we have to get it out of the, the ivory towers, as it were, and into everybody. That's where the fight has to happen. We have to popularize it. Everyone has to be their own investigator. That's, that's what it is for me. Here's something I wrote about it. Skepticism is not doubt, disbelief or closed-mindedness. It is not being negative about every new or controversial idea. It is a process of critical thinking, reasoning, and evidence to determine the validity of a hypothesis. It is a rational and open-minded process to find a conclusion supported by the evidence. It is never used to justify the preconceived conclusion. It is never used irrationally to reject evidence based on a personal desire for only one conclusion. And, and I, I think that sums it up. But just going back to Ian's question, I actually think we need to see better leadership from the professional bodies on this, especially in social media. And Ian knows what I'm talking about. We don't want to see what we just saw a couple of days ago about one professional body tweeting some absolutely pseudoscientific nonsense. Um, you know what I'm referring yeah. to, don't you, Ian? I won't call them out on, on this, but that was very disappointing. Do, do. Yeah, the people we should be looking to for leadership over this, um, perpetuating the, the very myths that we're fighting um, and they should be ashamed of but, that. But, but again, if, if everybody, if everyone is their own critic, then they will hear that from the people that they are following and they will analyze it. Yeah. This is the thing. We, we, it's got to be with everybody. The, um, yeah, we've got to have it. You know, you, you should expect good things from your, your professional leaders. Yeah. But the fight has got to be individual. Yeah. Now, I, I know we're getting close on time, but I'm, I'm just thinking perhaps in a week or two, someone comes across this video on YouTube and they, they, see the three of us talking about this and passing comment. And what if they, they, they might say, what does this mean for me? What, what does this mean for the average clinician? Now, my answer is, if you do this, you're going to be a better clinician. But I just wonder how you'd respond to that. Yeah, uh, you've you got to go out of your comfort zone. Um, you're not going to find objective truth from anyone. Every, anyone who comes to you and says, I know all the answers, just on that basis, they probably don't know any of the answers. Um, it, you're not going to find all of it in a simple place, except the fact of uncertainty, except doubt. All the, the, the very most knowledgeable people I know are the ones who are filled with doubts. Mm -hmm. uh, the most knowledgeable people I know are the ones who are most able to admit their areas of ignorance. Um, and we all have to be comfortable with that as a, as a profession we have to become comfortable with not understanding stuff and being honest about what we don't understand. We have to abandon this whole idea that we understand biomechanics 
you know, and that it's it's four degree rear, medial rear foot post because we measured the calcaneum. It's not that simple, but that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And stop looking for something to replace that lovely certainty that we had the first year we qualified. Sure, I, I hate to think how many times I've said I used to know what I was doing. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think as well, Craig. I, I completely agree with you that you have to behave this way if you want to be a better clinician and you will be a better clinician if you behave this way. But it's more than that. It's when everyone does it collectively, you are a better profession. And we see so often people complaining that we're not viewed as the experts, complaining that you know, the physio got referred that, that tendinopathic Achilles or whatever it may be. But the reality is if, if as an entire profession, we behave in this way, then as we move forward, uh, yeah. we, we are better if we want if we want better we need to be better and if we want change we yeah. need to change so we this isn't just this isn't it's not something i think someone should even really have a decision on this is this is what you have to do if you want to be a clinician in 2018 i, I just don't know that you get the choice anymore do you you do you absolutely oh, get the choice the and th- this is this is the problem we, we have to <laughs> realize <laughs> that people do have the choice and our road is an uncomfortable road to walk but as you say, if we want to be better, we've got to be better. It's not just about marketing and, and telling people how good we are. We've also got to be as good as we say we are. And all the time that you get somebody, um, I'll, I'll make an example up. Somebody says, you know, I've got, I've got a patient with heel pain. What should I do? And somebody else says, oh, you should give them insole X. No assessment, no holistic view no idea of their lifestyle clinical reasoning yeah, yeah all of that goes out the window people want an easy that, answer to each question we've got to be better than that but that's the problem people are going to facebook and google for their medical advice more and more they're more likely to get it from their mummy's group on facebook than from an evidence-based health professional and that's the yeah that's where, where it gets scary so now just, I, Sarah's, I, I, Sarah's, Sarah's just commented again uh, so there aren't enough hours in the day uh, or passion for, for all subjects. Uh, capital letters, I want to understand. And, uh, oh, I think I said this to Sarah. I think it was Sarah I said this to uh, some time ago on one of the fora. And that is, like, I've been doing this coming into, like, my 16th year. And I, I, don't, I don't fully understand it. So, I don't, you know, don't give, yourself a, hard t- don't give yourself a hard time, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Great. You, you've been doing it longer than anyone else here. Do you fully understand biomechanics? I used to. <laughs> I used to think I did. <laughs> the question has, the, has frozen him. He's in a, a fugue state. No, the, the more you do it, the more you realise you don't. But this is the, the concept of, and I am aware of time, uh, of Mount Stupid. Um, that if you draw a graph of knowledge, you qualify, and then you think you know everything, and you stand at the top of Mount Stupid, thinking, looking her down on all you survey. There I'll is. be back. And you fall. Okay, sorry, I'm not sure what happened there. Okay, you oh. fall off the side of Mount Stupid, uh, down into this horrible trough of despair, and you think you don't know anything. In fact, you know a lot more than you did when you were at the top of Mount Stupid. And then there is this very, very slow increase, punctuated by these little troughs mm. as you learn. Um, if you want to be comfortable with knowing everything, science is not for you. That's not what science is. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, you know, we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned the Dunning Kruger effect yet either. But that's no, we just just before we end up, that's probably uh, worth a quick mention because it, I mean, it, it, it's not that dissimilar to the, the Mount Stupid. Um, it is Mount Stupid uh, ex- explanation you just gave, isn't it? It's, it's like, an annotation more, of the same. More, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, Craig, Craig's getting antsy at the time. Another way of looking at Dunning Kruger is stupid people don't know they're stupid. <laughs> but, yeah. but just looking <laughs> stupid, you're before, probably not. Before we finish, um, I, just, I think we've just got to, Robert wanted to get a plug in for the Forgotten Feet. So let me just. Um, this is where his swear box money's been going. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Some of you might um, have noticed Robert putting money into a coin. So every time he swears, um, the money was going to uh, this group here. So I don't know whether you want to just tell us briefly what it's about, Robert. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. It's um, it's podiatrists who volunteer, who give their time um, to treat homeless people. Um, you know, those lovely moments where you treat somebody who really desperately needs the help and has no other way of getting it. Um, it does that. It's set up by 
us there is no overhead there you know it's not going into a faceless entity where the money just disappears into a drain um and you can have a you can have a pot in your clinic you go to a conference where they are you can get one of these and you get your patients put in it you use it as a swear jar normal person you know if you put a pound in every time you swear by the end of the year you'll be able to buy a homeless person a pair of shoes give it to toby blamford he'll be able to buy a homeless person a yacht it's the it's a really good cause, and uh, it'd be great if people do chip into it. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks. Okay, well, thanks, Robert. I, I, we did just have a few a little technical glitch. The video did seem to freeze on Facebook momentarily, but if you missed any of the later part, it will, it will be on YouTube. So, for those of you who have just joined us, it, Facebook will render this it. video. The whole thing will be there soon. It will be on YouTube tomorrow. So, um, thanks, Robert, so much. It's been as per normal, the hour goes really quickly. Um, and thanks, Ian, and we will see everyone next week. Thank you for having me.